Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Enda here with you in the company of Alan Morrison and Alan Morrison alone because we're looking back to the Celtic 7 St. Johnson nil game at the weekend. Alan, I can't promise you that I'm going to bring the same sort of razzmatazz as James brings to the podcast, but I will do my best to at least not sound like a complete effing idiot in the course (laughs) of this uh, review. I mean, this is one of those games where you look at it and on first watch, it was absolutely magnificent to watch. And then, you know, sometimes you rewatch these games and they're, they don't have the same spark or the same sort of element of, you know, shine on them when you're rewatching. But I rewatched this game and I, I came away thinking it was an even better performance than it was on first watch. How do we begin to analyze a game where Celtic were so dominant is the main question, I guess. Yep. So uh, just to say, obviously we're missing James. Uh, uh, Shamey is not here, but I will. I'll do my best to provide the perspective that sort of says, you know, yes, we won seven nil, but <laughs> these are all the things that, sh- that could have gone wrong. I will, I'll have a go at that, maybe. But uh, no, no, it was it was hugely uh, enjoyable. Um, you know, I, I was I was watching the game. Um, I was actually doing. The Axon match day coverage uh, with Paul uh, and Lawrence, and uh, I was I was trying to be professional and take notes and stuff, but <laughs> in the end I couldn't keep up with all the sort of action and all the good chances and what have you. It was just, uh, and actually I found that because I was concentrating on taking notes, I didn't enjoy it as much as just like a, you know, a fan just uh, you know taking in what, uh, what all, all all the lovely little bits. I mean, just the little cameos like you know Kyogo coming on and mm-hmm. and so forth and. The reactions to some of the some of the goals and so forth. It was just there's a lot there's a lot in it that was uh, very very pleasurable and, and like you say and, and you know yes you can always pick a few little holes but yeah it was a it was a thrilling performance but I think that and I think that's that's the aspect of it is what is this telling us about where we are now as a as a team and what does that mm. mean for the rest of the season that's probably the the key the key message I would say. Just on that, I, I'm sure everybody has read a match report from a journalist and thought, came away thinking, what what game was he watching? Like <laughs> their report can be sometimes completely different. You've sort of given an insight into the life of a journalist at a football match because sometimes when you're at a match reporting at a game, and you're especially if you're uh, for if you're for print media as opposed to broadcast media, sometimes you might only get to see 
maybe 60% of the play because you're typing as you go. Mm. And it's it's actually such a bizarre situation that sometimes the, the spectators actually do see more in the game than you see as a as someone who's supposed to be concentrating on. But that's that's a, a side note to all of it. Um, just on the actual performance itself and mm. how good it was and the style of football that Celtic are now playing, I did a video on this channel for the Monday Breakdown yesterday where I sort of put together a slight hypothesis, not one that I'm willing to die on the hill for, that this could be one of the most exciting Celtic teams to watch, in my lifetime at least. So I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking about Rodgers, Strachan, Lennon by two, and uh, Ronnie Dyla. So mm. I, I, I'd argue that if this Celtic team do, do go on to win the treble, that they probably are one of the best teams that I've watched as a Celtic supporter uh, you've seen Tommy Burns Celtic. You've seen obviously more of the Martin O'Neill era than me. Uh, the football we're playing at the minute, how does it compare? Yeah, and more. I mean, you know, I suppose the first team I, I mean, I, I Doug Leash was still playing when I started watching Celtic. So um, unfortunately, he left the the, you know, the second sort of season I was I was watching. Um, and then you know you, you morphed into the you know I suppose my favourite team, which is the. The team of the very early 1980s with McGrain and McStay and Burns and Nicholas and McGarvey, uh, Proven, uh, people like that. Um, I mean, football is very different. I mean, if you just you just need to watch the games from that era to see how stretched the play is, um, and you know the, the idea of being compact and deep. Is, is, I mean, you saw that in Europe, European games sometimes. A team would come from Romania and they'll have men behind the ball or whatever. Um, but, you know, pressing and counter-pressing and all this sort of thing. It's And, the, and the, just the general uh, level of fitness of players as well. So, so, so it's, a very, it's very different. So it's, I, think these, I think these comparisons are, are very hard to make. Um, I do think this is potentially the most thrilling football um, that, that Celtic have played. Um, you know, you know, Martin's O'Neill's team were uh, a big, strong side. You know, they had great, great, truly great players, and you know, Larson and, and Sutton and Petrov and people like that, tr- tremendous players. Um, and they did, they did often win, win heavily, but they often also ground out results. And, and Martin O'Neill was, I keep keep saying this, people sort of forget the number of times Celtic would go one up in a game, and O'Neill was could be quite conservative when he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So they weren't, they weren't all. Always the most thrilling team that side. They were a big, powerful side and scored a lot of goals from set plays and what have you. Not to say they weren't a very good, an incredibly effective side, but in terms of, I'm just talking about fast attacking football, I suppose. Um, Roberts, uh, Roberts, uh, Rogers' first year, I guess, was was a was a bit like that. Um, even even some of Lennon's teams touched touched it occasionally. You know, I think Hooper and Stokes, particularly when they were a, mm. a forward pairing, was an exciting team to watch with Commons sort of thrown into the mix. They, they produced some thrilling performances. But I think this has got the potential to be consistently thrilling as an attacking uh, force. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, a fair, it's a fair observation. Yeah, for sure. And again, I do, do want to hammer home the fact I'm not saying they are the best hmm. because, I mean, Martin O'Neill's side got to a European cup final or a you know a uefa cup final that is the, the argument is not that they are the best or the most mm. effective it's is this the best football that i've seen celtic play and it, it's getting there it's making me ex- in, incredibly excited for what's to come in year two, two of Ange if this is year one one of the key aspects to this game was passing and the amount of yeah. passes that celtic have now a lot of different data aggregators have different uh, numbers exact numbers for this the cynic have Celtic clocked at uh, over 1,000 attempted passes in this game. Wisecout have it a little bit less than that. They've just, uh, I think it's 964 attempted passes. Wisecout have it clocked at 
with 894 um, completed passes. Now, I also mentioned in that video that if it is 894 completed passes as of 2019 with Opta data, that makes Celtic uh, in the top five most completed passes uh, since the data was, was started to be collected by Opta. So we're up there with uh, Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich side, uh, did it against Hertha Berlin and a couple of other Pep Guardiola sides, a couple of other teams as well. So Celtic are really, really good at passing the ball and showed, showed that against uh, St. Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of just that that passing start, I mean, I you know, as you probably know, I, I sort of do sit and laboriously capture all the data myself. So I don't use a, a data aggregator, a data provider. I do I do do it myself. So that means that there'll be there'll be inconsistencies in these in these things. Um, and also, I'm not, you know, unlike some of the data providers, I'm not I'm not there to provide the data within 24 hours of the game, which I like to think means that I'm, I'm, you know I take my time and accuracy is important type of thing. Um, I guess I'm just going to say my data is better. That's really what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. <laughs> in a roundabout sort of way. But no, I had it at, uh, it, 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 nevertheless, 929 is 101 more than the next highest this season. So um, that's an incredible amount of passes. And as we all know, that that's interesting and probably tells us something about team style, but it doesn't necessarily, it could also equally equally say that we recycled the ball and passed it around the back a lot and didn't really create much. So, so that's why you've got to always kind of add context to that that stat. And certainly, the eighty four eighty four percent possession was a, was a season high as well. But what what I think we're seeing with Celtic under Postecoglou now is that we are um, seeing ever ever increasing amounts of control, and obviously a high amount of successful passes, a high amount of them. Um, Possession uh, indicates control. Now, some of that, again, it's all contextual. Some of that has to be uh, a little bit about how the opposition set up, right? So, uh, J- James has told you, uh, told everybody about um, passes per defensive action (PPDA), which is a, a kind of proxy for pressing effectiveness, in other words. And typically, that could be eight or nine passes for Celtic. And against St. Johnson, it was just it was over seventeen. And I'm pretty sure that's a, that's a high for the season, which means St. Johnson really didn't press Celtic effectively in any mm. shape or form. Now that may be that may be because they didn't intend to, and, and actually they did sit off Celtic quite a bit. And there's actually a lot of parallels with how St. Johnson played uh, in terms of you know allowing Celtic to rack up these numbers uh, with the way that uh, you know the Rangers team set up under Van Bronckhurst in February, where they kind of they kind of sat back, not sat back, but they, they were kind of passive without the ball. And uh, also they, they played two players sitting in front of the back four. Now that was a back five for St. Johnson. And then St. Johnson actually had three players kind of in the forward line. And what that meant was there was just a tremendous amount of space exactly where Celtic liked to play, which is in that, think of that as a sort of half space in midfield, the sort of gap between where the central midfielders would be and the wingers. And that's the space that the fullbacks like to fill, um, inverting, and it's the space that, um, you know, the wingers like to drop into and the, the number eights like to then go wide and create overloads. Mm-hmm. So that was just, to me, that was just playing into uh, a Celtic strength and Celtic were able to cut through them. So consequently, to come back to the point of, yes, that's a phenomenal number of passes, but does it actually mean, you know, it was all just control and, and recycling the ball? Celtic's packing score was 646, which is the second highest of the season. So we, 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 it was a lot of possession, but it was a lot of possession uh, with purpose in terms of we were getting the ball through the lines quite easily. And some of that was because um, we're starting to see a lot more cohesion in the play. And some of it was because St. Johnson, the way they set up didn't, just didn't make any sense to me in terms of combating Celtic strengths. 
Yeah, so Scout have it in, in terms of the passing. So total passes attempted 970. Forward passes was 280 with them. So you're talking almost a, a third of Celtics passes went forward. Uh, lateral passes, 370. So that's, you know, sideways, backwards, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one thing I noticed with this, actually, and we might talk about the defense in just one second, their importance to the way that Celtic played at the weekend. But just the movement in general, you're talking about the control. One thing I definitely picked up on from Celtic was the movement of every single player was integrated so precisely at the weekend. And I, I know you do have to use the caveat of it's St. Johnson who are sitting second, second from bottom at the minute. Hmm. But Celtic have operated, and this is hard to sort of uh, visualize for people who are watching, but or, or listening. Celtic, normally it's triangles that you would set up with whereas Celtic had every single time they had the ball, they had triangles within triangles, and it was almost ended up in a sort of a Star of David type uh, scenario. Every single time a player had the ball where he had almost six options as opposed to three options to pass it to. And when you're doing that at a high level, at a high intensity like Celtic do, um, that's why you're seeing such a high success rate in Celtic cutting St. Johnson open every single time they seem to get the ball forward. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you, I would imagine that game was almost like watching a, a Celtic training session when everyone's on it. Now, any any pro will tell you it's very difficult to replicate that sort of training. They talk about, oh, yeah, you, you put, put ones in the top bins all the time at training, but you can't do it in a mat sort of thing. It's just because the intensity is just that bit more and the, mm-hmm. the pressure and so forth. Um, you know, but but I th- I th- that felt like they were running through training routines and, 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 and movement uh, and off the ball and shape, etc., as if it was almost a, a training match. And and I don't think I've ever felt as sorry for an opposing team as I, as I did for St. Johnson, because that must have been an absolutely awful experience because 16% of possession, and when they did get possession, the thing that impressed me even more about Celtic than those attacking shapes was just the work rate off the ball to win the ball back. It was just incredible. And it really, really was obvious as well. The number of times the St. Johnson player would get it back, they'd they'd be hurried into a pass and then they'd, they'd, the ball would go backwards and that would be a trigger for like four Celtic players to kind of surround them and very quickly the possession would be recycled again. I mean, two the first two goals came from came from that kind of pressure. Giacomacus won a... Cha- they'd, they'd won the ball back from Celtic and Giacomacus put in a challenge in the box and that then triggered the, the goal for Hatate. And then the, again, Maida put so much pressure on the fullback that, that you know that was a poor pass back at, and J- again Jackamacus was right on top of the goalkeeper and he rounded him to score so that pressure it wasn't you know it had it brought it brought results as well and, and that aspect mm. of it is it was really really obvious in terms of just the sheer work rate off the ball um then then allows you to get the ball back and then suddenly the game becomes a lot easier and, and then you can you know dominate possession like like they did um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, some of the passing stats were ridiculous. So, I mean, Starfelt completed 163 passes. He only gave the ball away in passing once. That's quite remarkable. Um, Carter Vickers, it was 150. Taylor was 110. And Juranovic was 101. Um, and both the fullbacks racked up you know, more than 20 pack passes. So again, they weren't just recycling, although they did do a lot of recycling between themselves. Uh, they also got the ball forward, you know, at least in uh, you know, well, 16% of Carter Vickers' passes were pack passes and 15% of Starfelt's. But they, but they also took the option to run forward. I mean, um, Starfelt had nine ball carries and Carter Vickers seven. So sometimes they were stepping out and taking the space uh, in front of them. 
and, and breaking that line of three quite easily just by, by running with the ball. And then suddenly options were opening up. So just a great, great deal of variety. Uh, and I think that's reflected in how the goals and assists were shared out amongst players. That variety of positioning and variety of movement uh, was, was, was exceptional. Yeah, Matt O'Reilly, you mentioned the, the training situation and how it almost felt like a, a training session for them. Matt O'Reilly mentioned that after the game, talking about the training and how intense the training is all the time. And Ange actually mentioned it today in an interview with Celtic TV, saying that, you know, it's it's all well and good saying that you have a week off before the game. It's not a week off. It's a week to get some really good work in on the training ground. That's what Ange was saying today. So that's what they're doing. They're not, you know, putting the feet up and saying, look, we have a week until the Derby match. It's we're uh, drilling these guys some, hard. Some, until... some manager who send them to Malaga for a couple of days. Or... Yeah. <laughs> out, out to Dubai maybe for uh, yeah. a few pints beside the pool. Um, no. So, so this is the situation we're in. We're talking about a really well-drilled, well-coached uh, side at the minute that are in at, at the top of their game. But also I want to mention a couple of players. The defense, you mentioned them in passing there. So Starfelt, and Carter Vickers, they were key components to setting up the Celtic attack. So again, I'm going to try my best to work my way through the data as much as I can, as much as I understand uh, to this point. So Carter Vickers had 25 progressive passes and Mm -hmm. Darfield had 25 attempted progressive passes, 22 were successful. So what that means to the layman like myself is that Celtic were, were building the attack from the defense because the nearest closest to that is 12 from, I think it was Jota had 12 progressive passes. So the attack was starting with the defense and they weren't playing balls into, uh, they weren't playing balls to the, the right back or the full backs. They were playing balls through the St. Johnson midfield and cr- just mounting the attack from the defense. Yeah, that's right. Let's say, I mean, the, the progressive passes on Y Scout is not 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 exactly the same, but similar to the pack passes that I count. Um, the progressive passes from Y Scout, I suspect, covers passes that that are forward and 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 um, you know progress the ball up the field, irrespective of any opponents being taken out of the game. Whereas pack passes is, is forward passes that take at least one opponent out of the game. So there's going to be a strong overlap between those, and indeed the numbers you quoted are very similar. To the numbers I have for those players, and 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 absolutely, you know we've seen we've seen under uh, actually all managers really. Dyla, especially was uh, Dyla's team especially were quite poor for this in terms of this what I used to what I call the horseshoe of futility, where you're passing the ball around and back and around and back. And yes, there was still a lot of that, but it was all for the purposes of of moving the St. Johnson front three midfield five midfield forward five to finding finding that space. Uh, and then getting the ball forward at the right time. And as I say, they mixed it up really well with a mixture of pack passing to the you know the volume that you described, and as I say, also those uh, ball carries so or progressive runs if you like. So it's so, so very intelligent uh, from both centre backs. I think they really were the, the 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 creative bedrock of the team. And then once the ball got forward in, into into positions, then you know twenty three shots. I think xG I had it about four point six, which isn't isn't the highest of the season. So I think it's the fourth highest expected goals of the season. Uh, we did have higher when we beat Dundee and St. Mirren earlier in the season. So, um, you know, and again, we had 40 possessions in the box, which is actually only the eighth highest of the season. Um, but what we were able to do uh, is create good chances, good quality chances. Even though there was less chances, there was seven what I would classify as big chances. So that's chances that you kind of expect 
certainly to get it on target, possibly to score. Now, seven is the best that I've logged of the season in terms of big chances. I know one of them is a penalty, obviously. Um, so that 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 so we, so we we were able to even if it wasn't an enorm even if it wasn't the biggest volume of chances of the season or the highest xG there were good there were good quality chances which again is mm-hmm. is uh, important. I think I think it was point one six sorry and I think it was point one six xG per shot which is pretty high. Right. I mean the lead, yeah. the, the season average would be around about point one two so point one six is decent. Just to hammer home and finish off on the the possession and the dominance side of things. One of the key things that stood out to me from this was, so Celtic had 83% possession, which is absolutely exceptional, (laughs) no matter who you're playing against to keep the ball for that. But for pure possession time of the game, how long do you, I don't know if you monitor this, how long do you think Celtic had the ball for? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, that you're literally would, would be stopping, stopping stopwatches and what so forth. And I just don't have the, the bandwidth to do that. Yeah. So I, I look. I'm not a, I'm not a data analyst. I don't know how accurate this is. But Wisecout have it as 49 minutes of pure okay. possession time. 49. Okay. So the, over, for over more than half of the game, yeah. Celtic had the ball and they were doing stuff with it. So I mean, it's no surprise when you when you put together the uh, the amount of progressive passes the xg of the shots that we're taking and that for that amount of time it's no wonder this game ended 7-0 it's probably a wonder that it didn't end more than that um matt o'reilly yeah so just, just on that point sorry, sorry Dan, is, is you if they're if they're counting um ball in play time then that's probably 49 minutes out of a number less than 60 so the Celtic had possession because the ball is generally in play for less than 60 minutes of the game. Yeah. Probably, probably nearer 55. So that, so that wouldn't okay. surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if over the course of 90 minutes, St. Johnson were actually only in possession for around about 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, they, that's what they have it. They have it as uh, 944 for St. Johnson in right. total yeah, and 34 minutes of, of dead ball time. So absolutely. I brutal. mean, <laughs> if you've, like, you, know, you know yourself, if you've trained all week and you literally get like a few touches, it's just, brutal isn't it mm-hmm. Matt O'Reilly's goal the second one um, I mean everyone was, it was sort of like what, what you were chatting about with taking notes during uh, the game and watching it live and trying to concentrate at the same time everybody was so focused on Kyogo at the sideline that I think that goal went underappreciated because there were so many passes in the build up to that and not only that the finish was absolutely phenomenal as well. I think there's a unique angle going around, not the unique angle from Celtic, the one film from the stand. There was over 20 passes involved in this this play, and it was just, oh, it was no, just complete, pure way football. In fact, both O'Reilly goals, the diving header, which I love, a good old-fashioned like uh, diving, you know, like a... I mean, uh, uh, Andy Gray, Scotland striker, used to be famous for scoring goals like that. You know, great, great, great header of the ball. But that was a great, great, came out of nowhere. But that was actually culmination of a seventeen-pass move, the diving header. But the, uh, the 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 Rogic-like shot into the top corner was forty-seven passes. It's <laughs> just ridiculous. <laughs> and so, what what do we what do we say from this? Like. So we don't. We're missing our third man here now to to bring us down to earth and <laughs> and and say that we we potentially could have pressed better or whatever. What do you what what can Ange take from this game? Because he was asked in the post match press conference, I think, by the cynic as well about hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And metrics and how you learn from that. Hmm. And he did mention that they do look at that as well as just saying, oh, good job, guys. Well done. Oh, yeah. um, so what, what would he be looking at this game now and saying Celtic can improve on? Because it is difficult. You do often hear the, the cliche of you learn more from your defeats than you do your wins. Celtic don't have many defeats throughout the course of the season. They do have a few tighter games. But when you win a game 7-0 and you have all this possession and you're completely dominant, what would you be saying that Celtic would need to take from this? Yeah, it, it, listen, it is difficult. When, when, when you've strangled the life out of, out of an opponent um, to the extent that they're literally on the ball for less than you know ten minutes in a match. I mean, what you know you are you are trying to find you are nitpicking to the nth degree to try and find some improvement on that aspect of the game. I mean, they, they had one shot right in the fourth minute, and that was it. Never threatened the goal again. Um, so defensively, you're sort of thinking, okay, there might be some things about some alignments and transition, but I don't remember that being particularly an issue. I suspect what you're looking for is there was enough. One of the the two things that I took away from it, over and above the obvious things, was just that um, counter pressing, just seeing how well that's starting to really bed in now, um, and how relentless we pressed St Johnston in the rare moments they did get the ball. And the second thing was just how the fact that everyone came off the bench and contributed enormously. Um, and I think in terms of what do you take from this if you're Postacoglu, it's probably looking at some of the data, uh, looking at. Turnbull especially, O'Reilly, Kyogo wasn't on the pitch that long, McCarthy, and just making a judgment as to, you know, in terms of the intensity of their pressing, how many, how how, how, uh, how far did they cover, things like that, just to get a sense of how close to proper match fitness do you think they are. I think that will be something that you would uh, look at. I mean, um, you know, Abada came on and 
and, I, and he had more shots than anybody else. Um, O'Reilly came on and was just just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think he ended up with the the best. You know, well, he, again, he had what did he have now? I don't know if he had the best expected scoring contribution because the the penalty sort of distorts these sort of things. But he, he had you know one of the best expected scoring contributions. Um, he had one of the best packing uh, packing scores, and he was only on the pitch for for half the game. Um, you know, he was tremendous. Abada was tremendous. Even McCarthy was was decent. Um, so you know, all the substitutes came on, um, and Kyogo Kyogo wasn't involved. But the first thing he did, literally, the first thing he did when he got the ball was ping a fifty yard pass that took out the whole St. Johnston team. It was an and, unbelievable and, pass. And Abada scored. So. I think it's, it's it's looking at those, looking at that really, and uh, that that to me was a was was a big takeaway was that, that those players came off the bench and I know I know they were coming into a, a nice game you're you're well you're well ahead and all that all that sort of thing but you you want players to show that they want to be in the team don't you and, and they certainly did mm-hmm. that and it was nice to see McCarthy even get some minutes because well, that's that's Ange probably saying you know he could have put a bit on on but actually I want I want you all you know game ready. If it, if you get called on in the next in the next uh, sort of month, really, so yeah, difficult to nitpick, I have to say, but yeah, it would be looking at that, looking at how they performed, their probably some of the more physiological metrics, to, just to see how ready are you if I need to call on you again. Yeah, it was the the substitute one is is great because Abada I, I highlighted this. There's pictures of him celebrating his goal to make it seven nil. And he's celebrating as if he just won the game for Celtic. You know, he he's properly showing that he wanted to be there. And the the Kyogo one's an interesting one because we don't normally see him dropping back that deep. No. Is what are we what what are we thinking there? Is that just you know maybe just get your he wanted to get a touch on the ball. He's just on the pitch after a couple of months, or are we potentially seeing a new uh, thing within the Celtic system with Kyogo now that Maeda's there? And uh, Abad is there to do those uh, forward runs. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we've seen little glimpses of Kyogo where you sort of think, could he be like a t- like a bit more of a ten than a an out and out striker? Um, I don't know. In that instance, I'm not sure. I think there was uh, Johnson weirdly had decided to kind of they chucked on a couple of forwards and they kind of pressed a bit higher for a period in the second half. And of course, I think they lost two goals because of it. They just became totally vulnerable to Celtic passing through. And I think Kyogo just saw an ocean of space and, and went and filled it, frankly. Just a, an intelligent footballer making an intelligent uh, move into space. Um, but what was what was fascinating was that you know Kyogo knew the run that Maeda was going to make and he absolutely nailed it. Um, that's a little glimpse into, into some interesting possibilities. And the thing that I just put a little tweet out about was that's the first 16 minutes that we've seen Matt O'Reilly and Kyogo on the pitch at the same time. Now they didn't connect and they didn't do anything. But if you think, if you think about the vision of O'Reilly's passing is just for me phenomenal. And you think of the, I mean, I think O'Reilly talked about Kyogo's movement mm, in training. He did. Yeah. I'm really excited to see those two playing together. I think that could be very, very uh, interesting. Yeah. Because if you take it back to the start of the season on, on this podcast, the amount of times that we spoke about Kyogo making runs, but nobody in midfield that had the vision or ability to pick him out. Matt O'Reilly, I reckon he has the vision and the ability to pick Kyogo out a couple of times. So it'll be very interesting coming down over the next couple of weeks in the the split fixtures to see how that develops. Mm. And yeah, Matt O'Reilly was speaking, and was it after the game? I think he might have been speaking about 
just being on the pitch with him and seeing because he had seen him doing it in training and doing little bits in training. But in my, when it came to match day, he, he said he was absolutely phenomenal. So very exciting times indeed. The cup semifinals coming up this weekend. Jack Amak mm-hmm. is pulled up in this game. Now there's word that he is still training, so he may, may or may not be fit for this game. And hinting at, you know, potentially it won't be uh, won't be Kyogo starting this game that he's not ready yet. So that probably means Abada uh, up front with the the other two. So just before we get to the cup final because we're or cup semi final because we're going to do a proper preview of that on Thursday. The split fixtures are Ross County first, mm-hmm. then South, uh, then Celtic against Rangers again seven days later. Uh, Hearts at home, Dundee United away, and then Motherwell finish off in the season. Hmm. So I mean. We kind of were leaning towards hoping that Motherwell were part of this split. Ross County, again, Celtic completely dominated them a couple of weeks ago. Dundee United, my favourite team to play personally. And then two tough fixtures against Hearts and against Rangers to finish off the season. But there's, you know, there's a strong possibility that Celtic knock Rangers out of the cup this weekend and then a week later, have the opportunity to go nine points ahead against a side that have nothing left left to play for, depending on how this Europa League clash goes uh, for them. So, I mean, this potentially should be the run to the trophy. This is the first time I'm willing to openly admit that this is the the run to the trophy as opposed to Celtic fighting for a trophy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think after the three nil in February, I, I, I did say in, in a moment of emotional <laughs> openness that I thought if Celtic opened up a gap uh, like six points, for example, that I would call it. So I ought to eat my own dog food on that one and and, and maintain a level of confidence that Celtic are going to do this. I mean, just on the fixtures then. So um, the, I think the SPFL got really lucky that Ross County and Dundee United and Motherwell made it because certainly for Celtic, it means that we've got a fair set of fixtures uh, to close the season. Because it was looking like the way, for reasons I have no idea, the SPFL, what they they normally would do is you'd look at how the teams had finished the season before and you'd look at the top six from that season and you'd say, right, well, for Celtic, say, you'll play two of them at home, three away or vice versa. And then uh, for the Rangers, it would be the the same. But for some reason, Celtic played five of the top uh, six away and one at home. And the Rangers got to play all six, all, all five of them, or four, sorry, four and one. And so they got to play all, all all five of them at home, which then, of course, meant that you'd go into the split, having played essentially five of the top six from last season away twice. And then, and it didn't look like, it didn't look like, you know, that those teams were going to, of course, if you, if you, if they then go back, if they then, if they then finish in the same position, it means potentially the only way for it to be fair in terms of balance of matches between sides would be for Celtic to play five home games, which of course you can't do. So then Celtic would have had three games against some of the tougher sides. So anyway, that was the situation that the SPFL created, and I don't know why they did it. Um, but as it actually turned out, um, some unexpected teams got into the uh, into the mix, and, and it's actually worked out really fair. So that's great. Mm. <laughs> I'm really pleased yeah. about that. It's all we ask for is a bit of fairness. <laughs> Yeah, the, the I mean, this is a complete beside the point. But the fact that Aberdeen and Hibs aren't in the top six, I mean, it is a real indictment for wh- whatever you want to say about the money differences between Rangers and Celtic and the rest. Hibs and Aberdeen should be in the top six. They really, really should. It's it's down to mismanagement that they're not uh, at this point in time. In terms of the other fixtures, uh, Hearts 
difficult, always a difficult fixture. But yeah, at home, I mean, nothing so really to play for. Yeah, yeah, well, this is it. They've got absolutely nothing to play for. Um, and you know, professional footballers are, are human like the the rest of us. So I'm sure there was. I'm sure they'll, they'll put a decent shift in at Celtic Park. It's not going to have quite the intensities that you know tight one nil game did. Um, you know, a while back when Kyogo scored his famous onside goal. Um, so, so uh, yeah, it will, it will be. I mean, you know, Ross County. I think if, if, if you, I wouldn't say if you had to handpick a top six, but certainly Motherwell are, I think Celtic find quite easy to play against. Celtic, I know Celtic have dropped points points against Dundee United and had a very tight one nil, but in all of those games we generally uh, absolutely dominate them. And in fact, the three nil game in the cup match was 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 up there with Saturday actually for being that sort of one sided. So kind of okay with uh, with all those uh, games. And then it's just either say Hearts at home. You'd, you'd think, well, we don't. Hearts don't normally do well at uh, Celtic Park. So I think it's looking really strong. I really do. I mean, I, I would always be cautious about being overconfident. Uh, but when you and I, and I just put out a tweet today because I've had it in my mind. God, you know, when you win really heavily like that, do you then sometimes not do well in the next game? You know what I mean? Um, and I don't, I don't think that's been the case for Celtic overall, but it was a bit under Neil Lennon. Um, where it's a few times we had big wins followed by quite disappointing performances. But you just know, I just feel, I feel confidence in this team and confidence in the manager that if anybody's letting their performance drop in training this week, then they ain't playing at the weekend. And it's going to be people that are hungry and have been at it all week in training that are going to get because you saw what the performance was of the guys that came on, um, you know they, they're they're ready to go. So some of them, so you know everyone needs to be at it. So that, that I think I feel confident that the vagaries of cup football, of course, but you know um, it won't be through lack of uh, the team being up for the game. I was doing some hypothesising ahead of this game. So this is the third time Celtic will play Rangers this season. The first game they blitzed them you know, completely dominated them um, for the first 20 minutes. We're already, you know, home and hose by halftime and then just sat back and took up the pressure. The last game, they were uh, not so dominant in the first couple of minutes, you know, probably still asleep, but it was a compact defensive performance that we we didn't really see from Celtic before that. Hmm. What's the third type of game plan that we're going to spring on? Uh, Rangers this weekend I guess with Abada starting potentially starting we'll just assume that Abada is starting up front with Maeda and, and Jota what sort of elements does that bring that will be different to what we've done already well I mean remember that Abada is six clear if you look at scoring contributions so goals plus assists Abada's six clear of anyone else at the top of the leaderboard for Celtic so he's Celtic's highest scoring contributor this season with 28 goals and assists so you know it's not a bad player to uh, kind of have to come in if, if Giacomacus doesn't make it I, I what I hope is that we he does make it because um, uh, you know three three unchanged lineups in a row a team that's clearly you know growing uh, is playing well together offers a huge variety of of threat um, you know in terms of speed physicality movement off the ball passing ability etc um, if Abada came in, would it weaken it? Probably not. It would mean Jota might go to a slightly more preferred left-hand side, not that it makes a huge amount of difference. And Maida would be happy to see play through the middle, but I'd rather he, I'd rather he made it. So in terms of what Celtic will do, he, he's going to be the same. I think they'll try and play like they did on, on Saturday. Um, but what we've seen is that if that doesn't work out or the game can, the game state dictates that um, 
you know they need to play a different way, then they'll play a different way. Um, and that's what we're learning, I think, about about Postacoglu is that you know he'll he'll he he's got a variety of uh, you know adjustments that he can make to the team uh, to try and get the team over the line. So I, I feel confident that we'll have a coherent plan to to um, adapt in any circumstance. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction this early in the week. Maybe maybe Thursday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we we'll be previewing the game. Hopefully, James will be uh, back mm. with us. He's he's just ill at the minute, so hopefully he'll be feeling a little bit better before we finish up with this game. Then, anything else you want to bring up? I f- I forgot we sh- we probably should have mentioned Callum McGregor in this game as well because again, yeah. if you're looking at that goal that we've spoken about, I mean, he, <laughs> how many times was he on the ball for that alone? The the pivot as the sixth. This was where he really shone at the weekend. It, it was. I mean, just in terms of that, I mean, he didn't actually get involved in a lot of um, final third action. I mean, he didn't have any um, shots and he didn't actually provide any, he didn't create any chances. But again, 14 pack passes, 95 passes overall, 96% accuracy. He just he just was the, the glue. He just linked things together. Um, you know, it's so easy for St. Johnson to play through that it wasn't that McGregor was redundant, but um, it was actually quite easy for the centre-backs, especially to get the ball to the more creative players further up the field. You almost didn't need McGregor shuttling it on, but he did it anyway um, mm. to, because because we just had so much possession. But he was, no, he was fantastic. Um, just in, in, as I say, just being that kind of perpetual motion, always being available to be on the ball, always trying to get the team forward. and Didn't even have to contribute that much in the final third. Yeah, do you know what he reminded me of? I used this analogy before, but I'm going to develop it even further. Do you know when you bring your pal who's who actually plays football to a five-a-side game <laughs> to uh, lads who don't play football at all, hmm. and he 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 feels he's already scored six goals in the game, so he feels it might just need to take it a little bit easier. So he just drops into midfield and starts controlling the ball. That's what Cal McGregor was at the weekend. Hmm. He was just yeah. he wasn't really doing much with the ball. He wasn't really uh, creating many chances. He was just getting the ball, moving along. And that was it, really. It was it was all he had to do. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. He's he's certainly uh, like all of them, really. They, they all look like they're comfortable in what they're being asked to do. You know, we talked last week about for me the biggest takeaway from the the derby game was you know we can uh, it's quite entertaining to argue about who was the man of the match and all this sort of thing. But the big takeaway was just the that cohesion, that togetherness, that that team identity is really sort of forming. And, and you know, McGregor's the captain and he kind of epitomises that uh, and he represents that really well on the pitch. For sure. Anything you want to bring up before we finish up then? Um, just one little interesting thing was Abada's goal. So that took Abada to 10 league goals. And I was looking back, it was 1994-95 was the last time Celtic had a season where nobody scored uh, 10 league goals. Do you want to have a guess who was the top scorer that season? In 94-95. That was the year I was born, so it's going to be difficult for me to pull this one out of my back. <laughs> you bugger. Uh, <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to hazard a guess. Who was it? John Collins. And, and, and that was partly because he took penalties, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, uh, there was one season under, I think, was it the last season under Roger? The second season where Sinclair just got to ten. He scored Celtic's last goal of the season, uh, and he got him to ten. But it doesn't happen. It's not something that happens very often. So a bad. Uh, it's interesting. It's fascinating. You know, we didn't get many shots, goals, 
chances Celtic create to not have an individual player that's that's on ten league goals yet. But that just shows you just the, the churn and the number of changes and uh, lineup uh, differences that we've had over the season. Mm. Well, even just on that, I was lo- just looking at the the goal scorers and the contributions of everybody. Um, eighteen different goal scorers in all competitions for Celtic this year, by my estimation or by the estimation of the league table that I was looking at. Okay, um, I'm, I, I, and yeah. You're probably right. <laughs> I can't quite yeah, it was, work that out in real time. I, I was looking at the FOT mob, so I, I'm going off them. They had 18 goal scorers in all competitions, and right. 10 of them have more than four goals, or four hmm. or more goals, I should yeah, say. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's really phenomenal depth for what you're talking about. Because even if you look at David Turnbull, who hasn't really played all that much since Christmas, he's still up there with you know goals and assists for the season. So we we needed a big squad we needed the enhancements in January that we got and everybody has played a massive role. Even the the three transfers that we brought in in uh, Hatate, O'Reilly and Maeda, all three of them now have, I think Matt O'Reilly's on three, but uh, Hatate and Maeda all both have more than four goals. So, I mean, you're talking about the guts of 12 goals there for, uh, for January transfer market. So, I mean, that's, that's really good going. I, I think you're right. I mean, if you look, I think when we reflect back on the season, that will be a theme of this season. Um, and certainly if you go back as, as, as long as, I, as I've just embarrassed myself to go back, you know, you'd, you'd often have seasons where you might use sort of 16, sort of 20 players, especially when you go back to the sort of 80s, early 80s and so forth. But um, we obviously we're going, we are going through a massive transition. But, you, you know, players like um, Ralston and Welsh, um, you know, Kyogo was out for a long time, but they've all made contributions. Jackamakis has had his little period where he's made his contribution. You know, O'Reilly, you know, Maeda, since they've come in, nothing before January, obviously. And then, you know, so a lot, of the, a lot of players have contributed a lot to this, um, even if they aren't even in the in the um, in the starting lineup anymore. Uh, you know, James Forrest. You think the Forrest actually started the season pretty brightly, scored the League Cup semi-final winning goal. You know, there's lots of little contributions there from a lot of different players. Even if, even though you might look at the starting lineup on on in the next game and think, well, you know that what you know, it's it's a bit mixed over the, over the season. They've all had their their moments, and you know, you're right. You know, the, the, I think there's, there's four players in double figures for goals, and if Turnbull gets one more, he'll be on double figures. So that'll be five players on double figures. That's that's pretty healthy. Yeah, I will die on the hill of James Forrest scoring important goals for Celtic. If you look at his, uh, honestly, God, I don't, I don't want to go too de- deep into the, the James Forrest loving, but if you look at his Celtic career, not only has he scored quite a few goals for Celtic, he scored a number of goals that have mm-hmm. gotten Celtic either to the final or in the final. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people not a fan of James Forrest, but I'm, I'm happy enough to say that he's going to go down in Celtic folklore as a really, really uh, important player for Celtic and. Quite, albeit a very dominant period. Yeah, no, no, I, I am, but uh, trying, trying sometimes sort of think about how would how would Postecoglou phrase this? He he would be more interested not in the goals that James has scored in the past, but what's he going to score oh, in the future? Gonna, That's yeah. the key question. Yeah. That's probably a debate for another day. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I tried my best uh, to bring Perfect. some data to the table and everything. You, you so blew me away with all these all this data. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, tried to bring them in in a way that I understood. So hopefully that will mean that the people like me out there will understand them as well. And that's that's the whole that's the whole point of this that's, podcast. That's probably about. more important. Alan, yeah, <laughs> we'll be back again on Thursday. You'll be with us hmm. for the preview. Yep. Perfect. 
I I will be asking you for a uh, score prediction in that as well. So fair enough. You'll yeah. <laughs> You'll, you can at least you know what's coming this time. I'll, and, I'll, uh, I'll chuck some coal into the supercomputer in time for Thursday. <laughs> Lovely stuff, Alan. Good stuff. Take care. All right, that's that's our lot on the Huddle Breakdown. If you want to get this podcast, it's on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and you can subscribe to the YouTube channel below as well. If you want to get the video every single week, we'll be back on Thursday as we preview another game against the Old Firm. Good luck. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.